Hello and welcome to the Unlikely Gifts podcast. I'm your host, Diane M. Samard, and along with me is our producer and editor, Larry King. Well, thank you very much. You know, I feel like I'm the Ed McMahon of Johnny Carson show. You know, I'm sitting over here on the couch, listening to all these great stories, and it's great hearing the stories that come from you because they're so real. They're the unlikely gifts that we we don't look for every day, but when we look back, they're gifts that have been given to us. Well, that's a great way to put it. Thank you so much. And today we're going to chat about the foundational reason for our podcast, the unlikely gift in my life that has literally become the driver for all I do. Now, what might that be? Well, of all things, what ultimately became an unlikely gift in my life was my bout with breast cancer in 2015. How's that for a shocking surprise? That must have been a real surprise. Now, let's get into that story because I want to hear it. We begin back in January 2015. I was 49, getting ready to turn 50. I had a lot on my mind. I had this grandiose idea that somehow turning 50, everything was going to become a utopia. I was finally going to be at peace with myself and life was going to finally make sense. Uh So I had a routine annual mammogram in late January of that year, and I had been having annual mammograms ever since a benign cyst was discovered in my left breast 10 years before that. Mm, So what goes on this day? You're going to go get this mammogram. Yeah, it it just was routine. I had been going every year, so I went, and, and actually a week went by after I had that mammogram, and my husband, Rini, had reminded me that I had not received the results yet back. Was that normal? uh, no, it wasn't. And in fact, that's how little mm. I was really thinking about, oh gosh, maybe something's wrong. And, and, and when he reminded me, I thought, uh, maybe there is something wrong. So ironically, the breast center called back that day and said that uh, I needed to come back in for what they call a diagnostic mammogram and ultrasound, which is the next step and a gentle way of saying, uh-oh. <laughs> So I went, I went in. So how did you feel about that? Yeah, I was uh, apprehensive and I started to just wonder, is this what this is like? Because there's no answers yet. uh, Just a lot of contemplating and worrying. So I went in for both tests and it was a, a snowy day in Denver. And one of those mornings where everything just an inch of snow can just mess up traffic. And so oh, yeah. it, was, it was a lot of chaos and it took me a long time to get in for my tests. And the longer I sat there and waited, the more I became more concerned. So this apprehension and anxiety building is, it's, it's certainly not um, a pleasant things to experience. And so I went in for the ultrasound and kind of made friends, had a bond going with the ultrasound technician. She had been in the Air Force like my husband. And Mm. so we started chatting about that. And I made a comment. I I was laying down on my back for the test. And and I noticed that she moved that wand to my armpit. And I thought, I'll bet she's checking those lymph nodes and and that there's a problem. So again, just because of the way that I think, I just was assuming the worst. Well, I know you're a strong person. You know, I can't imagine what you're going through at this time. You're you're wandering, you're waiting. Yeah. And, and just, and of course they have an etiquette that they must follow. And so I happened to, um, 
when I she finished the test and I sat up and I just made a comment about the screen that that it looked like snow to me and how could she possibly see anything because it just looks like snowflakes and she said well I'm not supposed to say anything but it doesn't look good oh oh and, that's not usual a technician will yeah, say that no it and um, I didn't want to get her in trouble like I said we had bonded and so she called the radiologist in and he said no I just by looking at the screen I can tell you need a biopsy and um, I was like Okay, I, I've got breast cancer. I just knew it. I just, it was that intuition thing. So uh, right away I got angry. And as I left and they, from that point on, they must have some magical way of communicating that um, looks like she probably is going to receive a positive diagnosis because everyone there started opening doors for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, they, they were so nice. But again, it's just those subtle hints. And so... I got in the car and called my husband and I just got angry right away. And I, he didn't understand why I was going to have to have a biopsy. And I explained, well, that's the next step when they suspect it might be breast cancer. And so we were both having a lot of emotions. And, and I always say my life lost its innocence that day before I even had mm. the diagnosis. And you're 50 um, years old. Well, 49. Yeah, and yeah uh, about about to turn 50. Yeah. And so I'd had these plans, like I said, that I was just done with all the drama and the trauma and I just wanted peace in my life. So anyway, I had um, the biopsy got scheduled for a couple of days later and that was a another emotional experience. Again, they're trying to be so nice, but those are painful and I had to have lymph nodes mm. biopsied in my armpit mm -hmm. and that feels like, I always say, a corkscrew. They screw into your armpit is what oh. that felt like. but. Anyway, um, well, I've had some I've had some biopsies myself, and so yeah. I know what you're talking about. I know the corkscrew. Well, yes, it uh, hurts. It, it does hurt. It does hurt. So, I was told that I would receive the test results from the biopsy a few days later. And since I'm such a control freak, I was thinking, okay, I have a couple more days at quote unquote peace. But then I got the phone call the next day from my primary care doctor's nurse, and she's the one that notified me that I it had the biopsy had come back so what positive. Did, what really went through your head at that time yeah so I I just I couldn't think at that moment when she told me that I just didn't hear anything from that point on and I because it's my defense mechanism where I'm trained to deal with crises I just was very polite and kind and I said thank you I appreciate all you're doing and she was shocked like are you really okay and I go no you know is what I do I deal with problems and fix problems and so I hung up and then I just um I just could not get my head straight I couldn't stop I mean, everything cancer the word was racing through my brain and then I'm thinking I was late for a business lunch and I just got the news that I have cancer I needed to call my husband and it was just such an overwhelming feeling so and what did so, he say at that time yeah so we um I called him and he was very strong and answered and then I said I just got the call unexpectedly early and I told him I had breast cancer and we still we both cried and of course he wanted me to leave the office I was at my office at the time and and I said no let me stay here I, I have a lot to do and I just want to process this and I don't want to I don't want to give in and go home and cry yeah and and, well, yeah, and you, I, you can cry both places <laughs> exactly so anyway um he he was very supportive and so we agreed that we were gonna 
have a long talk that night about the situation. And so all that afternoon, I just, I became more annoyed because I just didn't have time for cancer. And I didn't, I was embarrassed because I didn't know what cancer was yet. I had an idea, I knew what happened, but as far as um, understanding how cancer works and why you get it, and I, I just had so many things I wanted to do and I felt stuck in mud. So um, I mainly, I was just over overwhelmed. There's this feeling of just being overwhelmed. So did they set up time for you at that point? Like, did you put get a schedule of what you were gonna be doing or did anything like that happen? Yeah, it, it did actually. So uh, before, and, and we still knew that I had uh, cancer in a, um, parts of my breast and in my armpit, but they had not uh, done it. more extensive testing, first of all, to see how much cancer were in those areas and then whether it had um, spread throughout my body. We didn't know that yet. Mm. So um, they started, we started first actually with cancer gene testing the next day and because Rini is retired military we have TRICARE insurance and they were very generous and I was hungry for data because depending on the likelihood of cancer recurring if I did have cancer genes that was also going to impact um, once we found out how much cancer I had that was going to impact the decisions on what the treatment was going to be so I had the gene test the next day and it came back I was I had no cancer genes which was wow that's a, a, yeah, yeah. A, a, a pleasant surprise and it was it was good for me because it statistically changes the um the outcome the, the likelihood yeah the yes. outcome and the likelihood that cancer may or may not recur and so that played into my decisions and um that was good information but then i still had to go through more biopsies i got a second opinion i ultimately had to have a pet scan and Thankfully, that came back that it had not spread throughout the rest of my body. Oh, so that's good. Yeah, and so so you, I, you've been diagnosed with cancer. Did you let friends and family know about this? I mean, is that something you tell everybody, or do you keep it to yourself? Great question. And I struggled with that because I had so much educating to do and information I wanted to learn, but. A few people knew that I had been diagnosed and because I have a background in communications and public relations, I knew I wanted to get in front of the message as mm. quickly as I could. So we called our immediate family the night of my diagnosis and let them know. And of course, they were all in shock and we didn't have a lot of answers yet, quite honestly. And so we don't know what treatment's going to look like. We don't know the... Um, likelihood of survivability because we we didn't it may have been metastasized throughout my body at that time we just didn't know yet so you took all these tests and things like that but when did the treatment start for this i mean it doesn't i mean you don't go to the pharmacy and get a pill it did take it actually took an additional month and a half from the day i received the diagnosis to have all these tests to get prepared to get ready for this 10 months of treatment, intense mm. treatment. I ended up being staged as a late stage three because um, they were um, uh, my uh, primary care team and then the um, second opinion team that I had a consultation with all agreed that I had a non-aggressive grade of cancer that was behaving aggressively. So they were concerned about doing any more biopsying in my armpit um, to find out exactly how many lymph nodes had cancer, 
for fear of um, unleashing cancer throughout my body, if you can believe that. Yeah. So, yeah. So we erred on the side of caution. And as I always say, they prescribed the nuclear bomb treatment for me. Lots of chemo. Mm. I was able to um, just have lumpectomy surgery, not a full mastectomy was not required. This was all contained on one side and then uh, radiation after that. But Chemo was up first because um, the largest of the three breast tumors that I had was only about uh, two centimeters. And so they for sure said if cancer, if, uh, excuse me, chemo could shrink the cancer, I would likely definitely be a candidate for lumpectomy. So that's why we went with chemo first. How was your response to chemo and does it make you nauseous or, you know, I understand some people are just flat on their back like the next day or something. How did that happen? Well, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> and I didn't, um, I, I had this obsession at the time with gaining weight because this experience has a tendency because you're dealing with hormones and they're giving you a lot of steroids that you tend to certainly lose weight during part of chemo, but then gain weight because <laughs> you're having more chemo more often and more steroids more oh, wow. often. So, yeah, so I didn't take the anti-nausea medication at my after my first uh, chemo infusion and that was just a dumb decision a dumb mm. dumb decision so i uh, got really very very sick and um i took the anti-nausea medication too late as it turned out and so i suffered big time <laughs> and i laugh about it now because i just thought i was smarter i was drinking steeped ginger water it's not nearly strong enough these are very strong drugs and the first drug um, that I had four infusions of, it's the drug that makes you lose your hair. Oh. And so I had already made the decision to, um, because in 2015, um, what they call cold cap therapy, which is a way to preserve some of your hair um, from falling out. <clears throat> it was very new in this country, but since I'm a data-driven person, there was no statistical data yet available that showed or proved whether or not um, cancer could hang out in my scalp cancer cells so um and if i if i basically froze my scalp so i chose to lose my hair and it was um the right decision for me and i have no opinion on some people um want to do cold cap therapy that's great it's just for who i am it was the right decision for me to to choose to lose my hair but i was sick i was nauseous all the time during the first as i said the first four infusions which took um so they were two weeks apart and so that took two months and I just, it was, that was probably one of the lo- greatest accomplishments of my life was getting through those four infusions. Wow. Now, I was just sick all the time. Being sick, were you able to eat? I, I you know, you said you lose weight, you gain weight, yeah. but what, what was your diet like? Yeah. So I, I had been advised to eat with plastic um, silverware because metal tends to have a reaction and, and, I tried that it, for some reason the metal didn't bother me but they uh, recommended that I not eat my favorite foods because they won't be your favorite foods uh, after that and so I, I ate pretty normally and I just didn't have much of an appetite and eating didn't make me feel better but the reason you lose so weight or I lost a significant amount of weight during that part of it is just uh, again chemotherapy is killing the good living cells and the bad cancer cells, but it's the energy that your body requires to rebuild those cells that have been um, 
killed off due to the chemo drugs. Um, I, I have never had children, but I've been told that that's often what it's like to to be pregnant. You know, your body's just in overdrive. Um, in this case, creating a new life, and and in my case, it was trying to recreate cells. And mm. so I could I could literally hear and feel, um, especially in my digestive system, that that it just was it was brutal in that part of my body and and so i lost a significant amount of weight and finally survived all that my my senses were really amplified during this time as well so um i was very sensitive to smells and um, a co-worker of mine because i was working about half the time i would go to the office i was not doing a very good job doing my job but i was but at least showing you could go. Yeah. exactly a, a co-worker of mine came into my office one day and stood in the doorway of my office and I just you know I just you lose your sense not you lose your senses you just lose all filters and so she started talking and I said wait is there a skunk outside because I had my window open in my office and she goes no I don't think so and I go she goes I had Caesar salad for lunch I could smell the garlic on her breath oh my goodness 10 feet away yeah oh my goodness and and it just was like god could you please leave? I mean, it just, I could, it was a smell that I just, I just couldn't stand it. It was, and I made this joke that I should be a drug sniffing dog at the airport because I, it, it's just the weirdest thing. And then stuff comes out of your mouth. There's, like I said, no filters, but. TSA, I, so TSA needs to hire cancer patients. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I, during this time I started journaling as a way to relax because I'd been trained as a journalist and found that I hated to be whining all the time and so I just decided to complain in my journal and that and that becomes a significant part of the story down the road so when you lost your hair what was that like yeah um I I it was very I shaved my my head about five days after my first chemo infusion even though my hair technically didn't fall out till day 21, hmm. but I, it felt like, uh, you know, sometimes when you shampoo your hair and you don't get all the shampoo out, it felt very brittle and dry and, and greasy at the same time. And it's because my hair follicles were starting, they were, you know, already starting to die from the inside out. So I, because I'm such a control freak, decided I was going to make the decision on when I lost my hair. So. Um, it was very liberating, quite honestly. So was that and, part of your healing, do you think? Well, Just I, in the, the beginning it was. <laughs> in the beginning it was. Uh, and I thought, wow, this, because I kind of looked like Demi Moore, you know, in uh, G.I. Jane. And I still had eyebrows and um, those hadn't fallen out yet. And so. You lose your eyebrows too? Oh, you lose all your body hair. Oh, yep. wow. Yeah. And so. The doctors were right. On day 21, I started having to change my pillowcase every night because I had little stubby hairs growing because it was two, le- two weeks later. But um, yeah, and, and then all of a sudden, all my hair, what my facial hair was gone too. And nose hair, which serves a very important purpose, especially when it's a rainy spring and you have allergies. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I had some, I had to carry tissues with me all the time. And so nose hair performs a really important function 
um, when you have a runny nose. I'll just put it that way. So, so how did you feel about this a part of the healing? I mean, did you grasp yeah. the fact that you were starting a process? What was the process yeah. like? I often compare it to um, basic training where they kind of strip you down, shave your hair, and then start to rebuild you. And that's really the symbolism that I equate to um, losing my hair for six months. And I was bald for six months. And I I um, was not courageous enough to go walk around bald. Plus, my head was cold. But <laughs> So I wore a bandana or a, a hat, fedora of some kind. But yeah, I it, it, it was symbolic. I, I really did kind of purge everything. I did a lot of forgiving during this time. And I was shocked at how um, ready I was to let go. I was still angry and just troubled why this had happened to me, but I had accepted that it was important to focus on healing and to rebuild myself because that's, I was hoping my hair was going to grow back, but I just, I was just grateful again that, that, um, the, my cancer was treatable. It was certainly, yeah, but um, you had the word cancer in front of you. You must've had that word immortality was that yeah. there as well. I mean, doesn't that come across your mind at some point? It, it, it certainly does. And to be given that, well, opportunity, but to have that forced upon you and to say, you know what, um, I'm one of the ones who uh, is fortunate to have a treatable cancer, as brutal as this, as this treatment is. Um, I just was determined that I was going to make the second chapter of my life a whole lot more peaceful and joyful. And um, facing my mortality like that allowed me to make that decision. And so we talk about unlikely gifts. That was one of the unlikely gifts for me was had I not gone through this cancer, I probably would still be carrying a lot around a lot of anger and emotion. And um, I had chosen to stay uh, just upset with a lot of people. And this experience so allowed you, or forced me to to do a lot of forgiving were, and purging. You, you were saying that you you know you you had a breast cancer that could be treated. Did, did was there any point in time that you felt like you were over treated? Yeah, and and it was after we did after I had started treatment, and there were more there was more information available about how many of those lymph nodes uh, in my armpit did have cancer, and it turned out um, they all did, and so. At the time, though, you just you just don't know, and so they had uh, my oncologist had hinted that perhaps I could have gotten away with a less chemo, but they erred on the side of caution, and I survived it. I was healthy enough to to and a lot of people just the, this just makes them so sick they have to stop, and I understand that too. But uh, it certainly wasn't a cakewalk. But I was able to handle the drugs once I finally started taking my anti-nausea drugs but <laughs> I just gotta learn to take the drugs correctly exactly right? exactly yeah and and I I often say that um I ended up being an anomaly in this situation because for most normal people quote unquote their initial whatever form of cancer they have the initial tumor sites the tumors in those locations tend to get much larger before the cancer starts to spread in my tumors didn't do that. It started, it was behaving aggressively, even though it was not an aggressive grade. So I just 
it was like so many things in my life. I just didn't fit the parameters. And that became a theme in this experience. Hmm. I was different. I was unique. You were different than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, I would assume cancer is different in everybody as well. Absolutely. A uh, great point. Uh, very good point. And so we are unique in so many ways, our DNA, our makeup, our lifestyle choices, all of those things impact uh, have an impact on how we're going to react when something like cancer invades our body or grows in our body. The whole one size fits all method that our healthcare system often prescribes because that's what we do. And there's a multitude of reasons. I really wish and hope that it very soon we see more individualized medicine. I know there's a lot of talk about that, but it's not just the physical side. It's the, uh, it's the emotional, the mental part of it as well. And uh, as I mentioned, I, I learned to celebrate my differences as a result of these experiences, and those became my unlikely gifts. Oh, no, that's, that's powerful, you know. But cancer's also led to some extraordinary things, like, like you writing a book, and you're becoming an advocate for more attention to the psychological impact of cancer. Well, thank you. Yes, it is. And, and I think we should pick this up next time and continue the story then. You, you know, your story is so good that, yes, we do need to continue again next week because there's so much more to tell. Well, Diane, thanks for sharing today. Thank you for sharing the intimate details of such a life-changing event. Well, thank you, Larry. It's my pleasure. I actually coined this phrase, cancer is never invited and cancer never leaves because the psychological trauma cancer creates can often last a lifetime. Wow. Can you repeat that? That's that's cool. You've coined this. I've always wanted to meet somebody that writes, you know, <laughs> quote. I got angry one day about a year after I finished treatment and I just said, I just wrote down, cancer is never invited and cancer never leaves because there's some traumatic experiences involved right yeah it, and it can the trauma can last a lifetime for some people and that's part of my advocacy work now that we're going to talk about next time great and i want to thank everybody for listening today it's been my honor to be a part of this unlikely gift this project called unlikely gifts well, and I'm grateful to you, Larry, for lending your production and editing capabilities to make this podcast possible. You, too, are an unlikely gift in my life. I was going to say that as well. You, too, are an unlikely gift in my life. So <laughs> it's my pleasure, as always. Well, before I go, if you'd like to connect with me on social media, you can find me at Diane M. Simard on Facebook or LinkedIn, or send me an email through the contact tab on my website, dianemsimard.com. Of course, we always appreciate your thoughts and comments about the Unlikely Gifts podcast that you can leave on our podcast page. In closing, please remember to nurture your mental health and your physical health, and that there's an unlikely gift in every circumstance. I'm Diane M. Simard, and this is the Unlikely Gifts podcast. <laughs>